Hello, and welcome to Deconstructor Fund's This Week in Games podcast. Now, this episode is brought to you by LabCave. And LabCave is a mobile growth company that provides app store optimization and mediation services for apps and games. And most importantly, the company has achieved more than 200 million organic downloads without running any paid acquisition campaigns. Now, LabCave has tested almost every solution in the market while realizing that none of them were built with app developers in mind. That led to the birth of a product with, a, with the goal to provide a flexible yet powerful solution to efficiently manage in-app inventory. Now, LabCave strives for full transparency and control, providing the right set of tools and advanced reports in order to make the right data-driven decisions, making sure publishers can ultimately increase their ad revenue. I'm sure all of us are ready and pretty much primed to increase our revenue. So I suggest that you visit labcavegames.com. It's a really cool product. And on and on their website, labcavegames.com, you can learn more about their mediation and organic growth services. So check out labcavegames.com. And without further ado, it's This Week in Games. Hey everybody, welcome to Twig 47. You've got myself, Joe Kim, Eric Kress, Adam Telfer. And today we'll be talking about uh, five articles. The first is the Retro Beat World of Warcraft classic shows that MMOs have lost by VentureBeat. The second article is new leaked screenshots and videos for League of Legends mobile game by Guru Gamer. The third is Telltale Games employees speak out about the studio's controversial revival by Polygon. Fourth is App Lovin announces strategic investment in Belka Games, creator of Clockmaker and Funky Bay by Yahoo Finance. And finally, Sensor Tower Pokemon Masters makes $26 million in first week by VentureBeat. What's going on, guys? I just completed a move, to, so I'm now back in the San Francisco Bay Area. Burned about a week. Didn't have water or electricity for the first two days. Took me three days to get internet, but now I'm finally back up and running. But what, how, how have you guys been? Well, thank God you left LA. That cesspool <laughs> of crap. I'm so oh, come on, man. <laughs> come back. Come back to the Bay Area where everything's happening, dude. LA sucks. <laughs> No, I haven't been to LA long enough to really take that as an insult yet. <laughs> oh, you're in LA? You live in how LA? You, how do you not I, know this? I don't know. I don't know anything. I thought you were Canadian. <laughs> what's what's yeah. with the accent? What accent? No, joking. I actually know you're in LA, but LA does suck. Where do you live in LA? Burbank. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> I almost thought you were going to spit out your coffee there. I was about ready to throw up all over my mic. No, I'm just kidding. I'm a little bit saucy this morning, so I woke up too early. But uh, no, everything's going good. Um, hopefully, I'm in for a mellow week, uh, and hopefully, my stocks start coming back. Um, yeah, Zynga in particular has got a little bit hammered these days, but I think we'll be back in action. Stock will hit, hit ten in the next six months. That's my bet. All right, should we get uh, rolling? All right, let's do it. All right, the first article is about World of Warcraft, my favorite. Um, Basically, they're just talking about the new classic mode 
of uh, World of Warcraft, which is the same as Vanilla WoW, uh, for those that have played. Uh, Venture Beat basically was talking about how kind of they brought it back and it's kind of without all uh, the expansions. You know, before they made a lot of changes for quality of life and improvements and uh, streamlining of the content. Um, and 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 a lot of what he says is totally true. You know, he explains that the, uh, you know, the experience really doesn't hold your hand. You know, it's the quests don't tell you where to go, what mobs to kill and all this stuff. And so you have to actually really explore and, and, and there's a sense, I think there's a bigger, much bigger sense of uh, fear, you know, <laughs> of getting killed um, and just a lot less, uh, yeah, streamlining of the experience. Uh, and the really big thing that I think he's totally right about is that uh, it feels a lot more social, like people are helping each other out, you know, giving each other buffs, helping them if they get into trouble um, and all this stuff. But, you know, and I, I have to admit, I don't disagree with almost anything he says, but in all honesty, it kind of sucks <laughs> because they've spent 15 freaking years and billions of dollars making this get game better, right? With great systems, quality of life improvements, you know, really streamlining those parts of that are really mundane in, in other MMOs in general. Um, and when you strip all that stuff out that they've done over the last 15 years, it's pretty jarring in general, you know. And as you can tell, I'm absolutely a huge fan of uh, World of Warcraft. I've been playing since vanilla. You know, I have not stopped playing this game ever, right, since for 15 years. Um, <laughs> I, to this day, I raid every week on Tuesday nights with these old men, I'm sure. Um, you know, and I'm still a huge fan of the game. And uh, so, anyway, the, what, what I really like about this game, and the reason I'm going to rip on someone else on this podcast in a minute, uh, is that this game basically has almost everything that makes games compelling, right? In my view, what makes games compelling are this. Production value, story, progression, persistence, skill, and exploration and world of Warcraft basically has it all and you can't say that for every game and um and to put it in perspective before i got married 15 years ago i negotiated with my wife two days a week in which she would leave me alone and i could play video games right from eight to midnight and to this day i only have one day but i've held on to that and uh and the real <laughs> the primary reason was to play world of warcraft all right that's how much i'm into this anyway so the biggest issue I have with, with the classic stuff is the travel time. Uh, the quest designs are just not, originally were not optimized around travel time. And so that's what takes so much long. So you're walking five to 10 minutes back and forth for finishing a quest and it just slows down the whole process. And that's, that's a pain in the ass. Um, I played for like 20 hours or so, but I don't know if I have the patience, but I may go back um, eventually. Um, the other thing, from Activision perspective, they had this massive uptick on Twitch. I think they broke previous records of you know over a million people coming and watching this game being played, um, and the stock was up like five percent on that day. Um, and the stock is actually starting to rip just in general these days. But I think people are getting a little bit ahead of themselves. Well, I'm sure you know a, a bunch of people will come back and try it. I just doubt that they will stick around for that long. Um, and I think what will likely will happen is they'll just uh, reduce the churn a little bit. Because uh, I do think WoW isn't now the negative. WoW is kind of in a tough spot right now. Like the, I, this last expansion was objectively the worst expansion yet. Like it really felt dialed in. There wasn't anything new. And the systems weren't really that all that compelling to keep people engaged for very long. And I think the subscriber numbers are significantly lower than they've ever been. Um, and I don't think this classic is going to change this. But 
there's hope on the horizon because at, at BlizzCon this this October or November or whenever it is, uh, we'll start to see the new expansion with um, a lot of returning big wigs from the old WoW days. Um, and I'm hoping that they can really make something compelling to get people back in and to keep them playing for a long period of time. But no matter what, I'll be there. I think I'm going to be playing this game till I'm 70, honestly. But anyway, what do you guys think? Wow. Uh, so I can speak a little bit to not not so much WoW, because since it first launched, that's kind of when I played. So uh, WoW Classic is all I really know. But more with respect to the strategic implications of games like WoW in terms of the competitive market for games. And the point that I want to make is that in recent history, we're seeing games that take a high percentage of players' slice of free time. So whether it's WoW for you, Eric, every Tuesday night, or for a lot of kids, it's Fortnite or League of Legends and now Teamfight Tactics with games like WoW that are highly engaging, take a big slice of players' free time. And on top of all that, you have very long and increasingly longer operating lifetimes. So, you know, you mentioned 15 plus years for WoW. I think Fortnite will be at least that, I'm sure. And so I worry about sort of the ability for new entrants increasingly over time to crack into players' attention. And, you know, smaller new entrants' ability to, you know, to monetize without being very large-scale productions to support a significant live operating model and without a massive marketing function behind the game. And I, I think there will always be narrative story-based games that are more experiential and consumption-focused, like a 10 to 30-hour narrative gameplay experience, rather than more durable types of games that, 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 that we're talking about. But I am increasingly concerned that small to medium-sized players are going to get squeezed. Uh, on top of all this, I think, uh, is, is also the... You know, the impact of the shift from a packaged goods model to a digital purchase model. And the reason why I worry about this from a competitive perspective is that this, in my opinion, reduce, reduces the compulsion for purchase behavior because it's harder to gift a digital game product for, you know, some random kid's birthday for the new interesting game launch. And instead, uh, game purchases may increasingly become more intentional and directed purchases. Anyway. Not to you know belabor this potential trend too much, but from my perspective, when reading this article, this is what really jumped out to me in terms of you know WoW being around for 15 years and with all the the live operations improvements, in that increasingly you know these types of games are going to be eating up so much of players' time that it's going to be more and more difficult for for new players. Anyway, Adam. Yeah. Um... So on this front, I've got a big confession. I've actually never played WoW. <laughs> that is unforgivable, dude. Absolutely unforgivable. Even if you hate it, you got to at least play for like level up to like level 40 or something, dude. I know. I, I really actually do that need is, to pick up, especially in this this experience now with WoW Classic, picking it up and trying it out. That is I, criminal. Criminal. <laughs> I've, I've studied it, um, especially look at endgame design. But um, yeah, in terms of picking up WoW Classic, even right now, there's way too many games competing for my time. Um, like even just last week, trying to get through Rush Wars, Pokemon Masters, and then coming up in the next couple of weeks, we've got Borderlands 3, you've got Monster Hunter Iceborne. So yeah, a big plus one to your point, JK, about these service games are definitely commanding more and more of our time. Um, games are definitely no longer consumable experiences. But yeah, um, my two cents regarding this article. 
um, the things that he's kind of arguing that have been lost, uh, less guided quest design, kind of wants more open-ended exploration, feels more social and more organic with groups forming over, say, uh, later expansions forming more over structured guilds, maybe. Eric, you could probably speak better to that. And kind of the lack of fast travel. Uh, my take with this article, it just feels like a good old days article. Like this whole talk about um, getting rid of uh, uh, fast travel, like this reads like those Red Dead 2 reviews that loved just walking on my horse for hours at a time. It just completely overblew that game. Um, most of these points I would say are pretty moot um, and the quality of life changes that, that they've actually done uh, definitely have improved and made the game objectively better. Um, so yeah, when it comes to like a lot of these discussions, I would say like some of the top end players talking about like less guided quest design, uh, this and pushing away some of these quality of life design. It's so imperative for ser services driven games to actually cut out all the chaff and time investment, um, to actually get players to the core bits of fun as fast as possible. And you can always see this in the metrics whenever you start pushing players faster to these, you know, core bits of fun. Um, the game can actually retain better and and the majority of your player base enjoys playing it a lot better. Um, so strategic battles, cooperative rating is really where they need to push players as fast as possible. Is there room for less guided missions? Yes, of course. So I would actually point towards Grimoire and Destiny. Um, so letting players actually differentiate by exploring and building up lore. But these are completely optional tasks. It's not imperative to play. Uh, so, because me, like most players, just don't have any time for that. Um, but one interesting thing about this WoW Classic thing is thinking about, you know, looking at a re-release of an earlier version of a service game that's been seen so positively by the community. While I agree this is actually likely just a flash in the pan, just kind of a look back at history, um, but not something that I, I would see Blizzard actively maintaining. Like, they're not going to maintain multiple WoW services. Um, but it's so interesting to see the response. Um, with all this focus on live ops and free-to-play games, um, I, I always see that feature sets are going to be bloating over time. Complexity really, really ratchets up as games go, go on and on. So it's obvious the appeal of kind of going back to the vanilla. So a question would even be, would any mobile free-to-play games ever be re-released and become uh, or have a similar response? My sense is that actually probably not. These narrative and expansion-driven MMO games could potentially do it uh, because each release feels so fundamentally different. But since most free-to-play games are now adding a breadth of features and lasting content late in life without actually making old content useless like most of these MMOs do, it would actually be much less value. I don't see vanilla Clash Royale or even vanilla Hearthstone really getting the same reaction. But yeah, you know, Adam, you say a lot of fancy words, I have to admit. <laughs> I, I take the more simplistic approach, right? It kind of sucks. <laughs> I basically summarized what you said. No, honestly, um, <laughs> what I have heard from some of my friends uh, at Blizzard is that part of what they're doing is trying to battle the uh, the errant servers out there. People doing what do they what do they call that anyway? The people are running old servers out there, and they want to get people not doing that, um, and that there is an inherent demand of some sort for this type of content from, from the, from some of their players. So they just wanted to serve, serve them up. Uh, and I think it, my understanding, it was far more complicated than they ever even imagined it to be. And so it took a lot longer than they expected, but anyway, I'm just kidding, Adam. 
you're uh, you sound so much more so much smarter than me you know i just keep it i keep it simple you know <laughs> really saucy this morning really saucy. <laughs> all right next all right so the second article is new leak screenshots and videos for league of legends mobile game and so guru gamer re- reports that screenshots from 10 cents mobile version of riot's league of legends has been leaked Uh, This title was first reported through a Reuters report back in May when it was disclosed that the game had been in development for over a year at that time. And the report suggested the mobile version would play differently from the PC game, but otherwise retain the same look and feel as well as characters. And for those that are unaware, Tencent's uh, Mobile Honor of Kings is one of the highest grossing games in the world, but does not perform, perform as well in the West. And so my take on this is that given that this seems to basically be a Western markets play, Tencent probably feels that the game would be more attractive to Western players with a more familiar IP. And they probably don't quite fully grasp why, you know, uh, those games, you know, Honor of Kings, Arena of Valor is not doing as well in, in Western markets. And so... I, I personally think the game should perform pretty well. Uh, Tencent has studios that are great at making MOBAs, but I personally don't think it will hit what Tencent's likely very ambitious internal goals are. Um, you know, the difference between the Chinese market and the West is that a lot of league players and the hardcore players especially will want to still play on PC with greater controls and higher skill caps. However, I wouldn't be surprised to see the game hit top 100 grossing. I'm just a bit more cautious about the game being able to get into, say, top 10 to 20 grossing consistently. Uh, I mean, in terms of the initial launch, uh, of of course, I would expect the game to hit top 10 grossing initially. But uh, what I'm talking about more specifically is over the long term and and to be be clear more specifically about Western markets. And... um, uh, I, I think it's really cool. Uh, you know, a lot of positive news coming out from Riot recently. Uh, not only this game, but obviously Teamfight Tactics was uh, a pretty massive, su- uh, pretty massive success. And we've got rumors of other new mobile game projects in development on the horizon. And also, there was a PC fighting game that was also announced being developed by the Cannon Brothers. And I re- personally really can't wait to see that one. I'm actually a huge League of Legends fan, but I actually had to stop playing because it ate up so much of my time and it was just too addictive. So with the positive developments in terms of Riot culture over the last year behind them and a lot of new product announcements recently, it really sounds like the, the company has you know, a pretty bright future ahead and a lot of great news coming out from, from Riot recently. Eric? Yeah, I don't know. I I'm gonna keep it simple here. Is you know, I think it's just about damn time that they came out with a game on mobile. Um, I mean, I think I've left a lot of money on the table, and I think we talked about it last time. Um, uh, but I, I'm actually gonna disagree with you on this. I don't think it's gonna drive Jack in the Western markets. You know, I, I think it's a safe bet in China that it'll do well. Um, but I don't think I just don't think there's a demand for this type of game um, in the Western markets. Period. So that's just my opinion. Uh, but we've seen so many come and fail like miserably. Um, anyway, I'm not going to go into that rant again, but um, I, I think the biggest risk and the risk we talked about last week is cannibalization, right? So fundamentally, if for whatever reason, the mobile game is not set up to monetize as well as the PC game and 
in China, you move people from the PC game to the mobile game, it's going to look great on mobile, but it's not going to look great combined. So I think that is their biggest risk because the gameplay looks relatively identical, as far as I could tell anyway. Um, so that that I, that lies the risk, and I'll, I'll, I'll let Adam yeah, tell it a smarter way. <laughs> I, just, I just start coming first from now on. Uh, but it, yeah, one question, JK. Is this actually a Western markets play? Like maybe for the long tail, but at least from the article in the screenshot, it looks like it's actually focusing on China, at least for its first. My, my guess would be that eventually that, that that's the ultimate goal, just because, you know, I mean, you know, I, it, obviously Tencent is not afraid to compete with itself and it continues to launch multiple products. But I, I mean, to some degree, yeah, I, I think they expect incremental revenue out of uh, Asian markets. But um, my belief is that, you know, fundamentally they wanted to do this to try and try and try and bridge the gap on in the Western markets is, is my belief. But, but yeah, I mean, cur- currently the screenshots are, are in Chinese. So Hmm. Yeah. It, what I'm really looking at for this is whether or not this is going to go with the, say, PUBG mobile approach or the Fortnite approach, um, right? Like in terms of how they actually build up this game in terms of how they deal with cannibalization. Uh, because like with PUBG mobile, it's a whole separate, um, right? Like it's a, it's a whole separate game, whole separate progression track, everything, because also the limitations with that developer. With Blue Hole, they created a whole separate game. With Fortnite, it's a direct port and plays exactly like the PC version, just with virtual joysticks and buttons on the screen. Um, so, from looking at this, it looks like, you know, like it, it looks like it could be a um, uh, like a mobile-specific version, which I guess would be pretty similar to to PUBG mobile approach rather than the the Fortnite approach. Um, because actually the article speculates that they don't have all the heroes. And from this, it looks like they actually have a whole new UI. You can see some components where it's actually just like a mobile focused UI. Um, and the fact that Tencent made it like has a very successful game on their hands with PUBG Mobile. This hints that this might not actually be a port of the PC, but actually something whole separate with its own major track. Um, so from that, like I, I do expect this to be big. Um, I won't repeat what's already been said. Uh, but at the same time, like the major question for me is whether or not this game is going to have its own leagues, its own progression tracks, uh, or it will be a big link to the PC console. Just because if you think like creating whole two separate units, that could create cannibalization where players now feel like they have to either compete on one or the other rather than it being, say, an extension of the experience. Yeah, I think the article mentioned it would be more the PUBG mobile approach, so that that the game would play differently and uh, that they would launch with, uh, I think they confirmed 26 uh, champs at launch. Yeah, it says play differently, but I'm assuming that's the core gameplay. They didn't really mention anything about progression. Uh, okay. Yeah, and then uh, I, and to your point, Eric, I, I do think that top 100 grossing should be pretty possible just given that mobile legends bing bang has been you know kind of top 150 or, or so um and this this should be more popular and uh, should be better yeah i just you know actually i'm looking at that one right now um holy crap like the game makes 53 million in malaysia but mobile bang bang what is going on right <laughs> Okay, Garena Fire. I, I need someone who out there who knows anything about Garena Fire and can tell me why in the hell 
Brazil is driving the majority of this revenue because Brazil historically has been a terrible country, right? Now I'm looking at this mobile legends and Malaysia and Indonesia are generating like a hundred million dollars on this thing. What is going on, man? All right, I got to look at this data more often. Um, yeah, I'm more like Vainglory was such a train wreck right from the get-go, you know, yeah. like, and and I, none of these games, Star, Force, Star Wars or Force Arena, which was re reasonably cool, um, they just haven't generated jack, right, in, in the West. So I'm, I, I think I'll stick with, to my guns on this one and say it'll do fine in the East and China, but I don't expect it to deliver much in the West. That's my... My, that's my official position on this one <laughs> until I'm proven wrong. Um, all right, next. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's get into Telltale Games. Um, so in this article, this one's by Polygon, talks about Telltale Games, specifically employees speaking out, uh, a lot of kind of Twitter followings around uh, what their complaints have been around that studio's controversial revival. Um, so if you haven't been following Telltale, they went bankrupt about a year ago. Uh, capturing headlines for their abysmal treatment of employees during their, their bankruptcy period. Um, they went bankrupt with barely any warning to their employees, stripping um, stripping them of actually like much needed things like health insurance and pay uh, immediately uh, with no grease period. So uh, actually about a now that we're a year later and the assets of Telltale have been resurfaced and being sold to a, a company called LCG Entertainment, uh, it is no wonder that ex-employees are speaking out. Um, unfortunately, a lot of their claims probably won't get substantiated, uh, but at the same time, they are speaking out. Uh, if you remember back to October 2018, when they went bankrupt, it came out that the workplace actually had a terrible uh, history of crunch, uh, supposedly a lot due to the technology and the engines that were so bad that management had to force content creators in terrible working conditions to actually launch their episodic narrative games. Um, the big question now is what are they going to be doing beyond just selling the back catalog of Telltale Games, this LCG entertainment, and whether they can actually turn the company around. Um, technology and pipelines kind of being that first step. They obviously need to start from near scratch to get to a point that content creators can actually create narrative experiences and puzzles that are compelling without demanding ridiculous man hours relative to the revenue of these DLCs. And of course, like anybody doing live ops on a content treadmill style game, so something like Match 3 or, or narrative games like Episodes, like clearly knows the value of proper pipelines and tools, right? Like it, the, these models can't work unless you can produce that content cheaply, but still uh, create value to players. Um, but then again, the second step here is also about the business model, like licenses with massive minimum guarantees. Um, funneling them into episodic DLC-driven games with a dropper, dropping player base actually within each subsequent episode and narrative games in general, especially in PC console in the age of people just watching everything on YouTube. This just feels like an incredibly squeezed niche to be operating within, and I have major questions about whether they should be even within this space. Um, I'd be looking at some of these subscription platforms Right, and asking if some of their episodic games could actually be enticing enough for some of these platform owners to throw some of those big upfront checks to get the money they actually need to get the tech properly finished so they actually have a viable business model. Otherwise, this is really just reanimating a corpse. And there's probably a pun in there about Walking Dead, but I'll, but I'll skip it. Damn, dude, that was hella mean. That was a, that was a How does that of, mean? I'm just telling you. I mean, all right. So I know I actually know Jamie, so who's leading the charge on this one. Uh, 
I helped him with some product he was working on. Um, anyway, uh, I think he definitely has the creative energy to get this done. Um, but I imagine the real challenge is going to get the right people on board and getting enough capital to grow the team to size to build both the engine and the content for these style of games. Um, also, he's based in the, on the beaches of Malibu, right? Which explains his long hair. Uh, but certainly better and cheaper than building something in San Francisco, you know, like glue. Um, <laughs> so I, 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 mean, mean? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't actually disagree with you on, on your meanness. Um, I think, you know, these narrative style games are, are, are risky and tough. Right. And I think if I remember correctly, and I actually have friends that worked at Telltale, um, hmm. they, uh, they ran into the same problem that a lot of people do is they got stuck on that same engine over and over and over again. And that engine was buggy as hell. And it created a situation in which they really couldn't innovate on the formula. So, uh, so the games felt very similar and the engine just got old, old and dated. Um, so I think one of the major issues that he's going to face is try to evolve this or innovate in this, in this space. Because if he tries to replicate exactly what they did before, yeah, you're right. I don't think that's going to work, right? And uh, the other thing is I think they have to pick the right IP, right? Which seems like a, oh, duh. <laughs> but, you know, I think what's critical to long-term success of what he's trying to do is to go out of the gate with something super strong and relatively innovative to capture the kind of fervor that they saw with The Walking Dead originally. Do you know what I'm saying? But anyway, uh, the other thing is money, right? The way he's positioning it, where he says he's going to only have 10 people in the first six months and 30 by the end of the year, that seems kind of a slow, <laughs> you know, that's a slow ramp. And, and, and perhaps he's got to go out and raise more money in order to ramp it up further than that. But building these content-heavy games, I think Telltale had like 250 people at its peak or something. Uh, to build up this content type game, it seems like you're going to need more people than that. But maybe I'm wrong on that one. Um, I haven't talked to him, but I wish him luck. And I, I likely will talk to him in the next couple months. Um, what do you think, JK? I'm kind of with Adam on this. To, to me, this sounds like disaster part two. So nothing about this sounds sensible to me in any way. And I, I think the thing that people Jesus. incredibly... <laughs> What's wrong with you guys? I mean, I think that the thing people still don't get is that great products take great investment and sacrifice. And, you know, as, as I mentioned, when we covered the WoW article, products need to be even better in this new world of gaming that we live in, not worse. And so this whole strategy just sounds uh, very questionable. I'll just leave it at that. And so... You know, then just just so I understand what we're talking about. So this CEO based out in Malibu, and you know, based on our article, it sounds like they're setting up shop in San Francisco, uh, not Malibu. But e even if it were in Malibu, it'd be very hard to get people to relocate there from from San Francisco. And so they've got, you know, guys that they're they're hiring back who are likely people who were not the, the best because the, the best of the telltale guys a year later are, are going to be the people who are already, you know, who have jobs somewhere else. They're not going to force crunch. So basically you have a situation where you're getting uh, the old folks from telltale who couldn't find a job elsewhere, paying salaries in the most probably expensive place in the world. And they're making them work less. And, I, I don't know. It, it doesn't. And oh, the one other thing that, that, that was mentioned is that people that were rehired will also be given 
greater responsibility in areas where they have no previous experience. And, and from the article quote, you know, one of the guys who was rehired was saying, I'm also given the opportunity to creatively grow in areas that I didn't have much experience or knowledge before. And he was a guy who was hired back because he, he basically said he needed the money. <laughs> so like, I, I, I don't know. No, no other comment besides my prediction here is that this is, this is kind of, I don't know, to me, an obvious crash that could have easily been avoided. It, oh, it come on. Sense. You guys, I, I am rubbing off on you or something, dude. I mean, Malibu, dude, it's like paradise on earth. Why wouldn't anybody want to move there from this crazy drug infested <laughs> um, city of San Francisco? Malibu, dude. Come on. Anyway, I don't know. I wish him luck. I'm, 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 I'm throwing out some positive vibes here for my boy. Okay. All right. Next. All right. Next, ne next article. <laughs> Applovin announces strategic investment in Belka Games, creator of Clockmaker and Funky Bay. Applovin, the company that used to just be an ad network, has announced additional investments in mobile game studios such as Belka, PeopleFun, and uh, PeopleFun is a Dallas-based studio founded by Tony Goodman, the creator of Age of Empires. But um, Applovin also finally announced that they also invested in uh, Firecraft Studios, the developers behind Matchington Mansion. Besides these investments, for those that don't know, Applevin also created the mobile game publisher Lion Studios, which largely publishes hypercasual games and has been very successful from a scale perspective at pushing their hypercasual titles. Uh, one of the things that Goodman, the president of People Fund, stated was that partnering with Applevin has catapulted our business beyond our expectations. We've grown revenue by 487% in just over a year and a half since their investment. And one of the things that has been interesting has been the relationship between Applovin and Firecraft, the developers Matching and Matching. No one can really doubt the success of that title. And there was clearly a partnership of some kind uh, between Applovin CEO Adam Farohi, as he is also listed as a CEO of the U.S. entity of Firecraft Studios, which is listed as in Palo Alto. Adam, do you want to, you've got some comments here? Yeah, I, I don't know enough about marketing, to be honest. So correct me if I'm wrong here, but I feel like Applevin is actually playing with a loaded deck. It's a mobile advertising company with unlimited access to the black box of mobile ads and is picking up partners where they clearly, they clearly can know with certainty they will find success by, by growing them. Um, so games like Matching to Mansion actually being able to grow at an unprecedented rate um, seemingly equally comparable product to um, to Playrix. It's like high frequency trading on the stock market or something like this. Uh, of course, the advantage is getting squeezed out more and more as devs are turning to Facebook instead of, say, AppLovin. But in general, this whole situation seems incredibly weird. Yeah, and I, I can comment on that because there, there's actually been a lot of rumor and speculation around AppLovin and especially Mansion to Mansion. And I think the big issue a lot of people have and well, where a lot of the speculation is around is how much of AppLovin's data and traffic is being shared in an ethical way with the companies they invest in. Just to be clear, this, this is all speculation, but what is not speculative is the appearance of conflict of interest. You know, mobile gaming is, is still a bit of Wild West, especially in China. And AppLovin seems to be operating, uh, from, from my perspective, more like a Chinese company in that regard. But 
you know, it'll be very interesting to see just how far App11 is able to get with their sort of expansionary approach, because I will say that, you know, they're, you know, I've got a lot of respect for these guys in terms of their ambition in the fact, in, in the sense that they're, you know, they are expanding so aggressively out of the ad network space and into publishing and, the, and in game development. There, there are certainly some some ethical issues there, and not not only for the company, but I I would even say from a from a customer perspective, from a user acquisition perspective, it it kind of presents a little bit of a dilemma for UA buyers. And you know, my experience with App Loving ha- having run them in the past at previous companies is that their traffic actually can be quite good, especially in specific game genres. So if you're a UA buyer and you kind of know the potential of what app Lovin could could do do you sacrifice personal performance for the potential that longer term app Lovin may use your data and network buys against you you know or do you optimize for your own current personal performance uh finally uh one 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 thing that i thought was kind of interesting was just seeing how ad network buys plays out and kind of the the competitive landscape and so for those that are that are interested, I recommend you check out Sumla's Ad Network Comparison Report to just see how big of an impact the sort of Playrix versus Firecraft battle has in terms of market share. So, you know, Matchington, uh, based on that report, is about half of App Lovin's ad revenue, and you can see Playrix is a primary advertiser on basically every other primary ad network except App Lovin. Eric? Yeah, I don't know. I don't really this this part of the business. I just don't really care for frankly but um, and don't know much about to be honest but uh it seems like what the way i look at it app loving is being very opportunistic about investing in companies that use <laughs> games that use their service right i don't know it doesn't seem bad to me you know so there i imagine there is a conflict of interest but if they can cherry pack pick and invest on the best ones then that seems brilliant i'll, I'll explain offline eric <laughs> Okay. Sorry. All right. Yeah. Maybe I, I need to explain it. But, yeah. It, it can be bad, but not, not to say that's what they're doing, but it, yeah. But no, but, but, but from your perspective though, that's what they're doing is investing in companies that are using their service that they see some value in. Right. That doesn't seem stupid. No. Oh no, that's not stupid at all. What they're doing is uh, I, I think very ambitious and as you can see, very commercially successful. Uh, what, what they're doing is from, from that, from a commercial success perspective is, is very good. All right. So the other thing that bug is bugging me. I was looking at Matchington and and I was kind of looking at all the puzzle games in the West these days. Is like, how is it that there's like this unsatiable desire for puzzle games or match three games in particular? You know, I'm like showing 11% growth this year on an absolutely massive number. You know, you have like three Candy Crushes, Homescapes, Toon Blast, Gardenscapes, Matchington, Toy Blast, Fishdom, Best Fiends, you know, and that doesn't even include all these freaking uh rpgs that are throwing out these puzzle games and making tons of money you know and they just all seem to be performing you know despite an insane amounts of competition it's just nuts you know and could anybody explain how all these games can coexist like are people playing like you know five or six of these things you know are the demographics expanding are the themes really that different to attract different audiences you know it kind of blows my mind and even with all this competition, King, which is arguably losing some share, continues to chug on. You know, you know they're not growing, but they're maintaining revenue levels. Um, and so, I don't know. What do you think, Adam? You're the smart guy. Tell me, uh, tell me <laughs> what the heck is going on. Um, well, yeah, on match three, there, there definitely is 
um, players that play multiple games. It, it's, you think about the actual structure of the games in terms of, um, you know, energy and difficulty curves. Um, players actually jump between them. I know my mom is a massive match three player and plays every single one of them, uh, or at least will give each one a shot. And then with the ones that she sticks to are the ones that she plays long enough uh, to get hooked by. Uh, I don't think themes really have like a massive impact personally, uh, but licenses definitely do, unlocking new audiences. But I guess it's the, it's the same way you can easily bucket this into say like FPS shooters, um, social casino games, or even gotcha driven RPGs. Like each one of these genres have, have this thing where, where you know, themes and, and licenses can actually pull in new audiences. Um, but yeah, does that answer your question? I guess, but you know, like I get social casino is actually a good comp where, you know, all those games look and feel very similar because at, at the end of the day, they're slot machines, right? You know, and so, and though that market continues to grow, uh, shooters, I would argue that like, yeah, po certainly Fortnite just expanded the shooter audience dramatically. But up, up till that point, you saw like a satiation of like, you know, 26 to 30 million people that buy shooters on a regular basis, you know, maybe a little bit more. But anyway, I don't know. It just seems like no matter how many games come into this, uh, come into this market, uh, they continue to generate not just like a million or two million a month. We're talking about like eight to nine million a month in the West. I mean, it's, it's nutty, you know, and yeah. none of these games do well in the East particularly. So it's like all being driven by, you know, tier one English, like US, US, US and UK and Australia and Canada to some degree you know some of these lesser countries in europe um so i don't know it kind of it, it, it is maybe because the thing the thing that like when i was at caban what i worked on a lot was trying to size the market and the and part of the challenge i thought that would end up happening is that you have saturation levels of smartphones and the incremental buyers of smartphones are like you know 70 year old ladies and 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 eight year old or 12 year old kids right um and then and so, like, if you don't have the 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 market growing all that dramatically in terms of install base, you're going to start to see some weakness um, on the game side. And we just haven't seen that uh, across the whole market, but particularly in match three and, and casino games. So, anyway, I don't know. I'm just kind of. Well, when you're looking at the 11 percent, is that download growth or that's re that's revenue growth? That's right? just pure dollars. Yeah. Yeah, I would take a look at things like the DPD growth across some of those games, uh -huh. um, just because, it, like, my sense is that Best Fiends and Candy Crush and all these games have just been reaching live ops maturity and doing a lot better in terms of their event design. So yeah, they, right, they, right. I think it's, it's more about driving more revenue from the player base they have than necessarily like untapping whole new audiences that have never been there. No, that's true. Yeah, we that's one thing that we looked at when, or maybe we talked about the podcast, I can't remember, but uh, with King in particular, they just basically increased the frequency of, of, of level releases, uh, but then also, yeah, right optimize on their live ops to monetize just better. Uh, but I think they've hit their plateau to some degree, in my opinion, anyway. Um, but these other companies are doing different things, you know, innovating on, on some of the little bit of a design, right? Of, you know, I, the homescapes and gardenscapes, I think was, was brilliant, right? Combining simulation with, with the puzzle um, got me hooked for a while. But anyway, they're doing different things. I just, just don't know. I guess what I really want to know is who these people are and what, how much money they're spending and, and, <laughs> and how long this thing could last. Right. Anyway. All right. Next one. Um, Oh, Pokemon masters. Yeah. Pokemon masters. So, uh, as discussed on last week's podcast, uh, Pokemon company and DNA, hopefully I've said that right this time. 
launched Pokemon Masters last week, and Sensor Tower is now reporting that it's made 26 million in the first seven days. Uh, this outpaces all other Pokemon company developed games, um, but it is actually less than half of the revenue that Pokemon Go reached within the same period. That was 56 million. Um, so from the outside looking in, it does feel like these game, this game is actually doing very, very well. And you'd expect this to be on a trajectory to actually compete with Fire Emblem Heroes, um, Nintendo and DNA's most successful and longest running mobile RPG. Um, so in terms of the actual numbers, Japan has stayed relatively flat at a $14 RPI and USA is around $1.7 uh, RPI. Uh, comparing that to Fire Emblem, Fire Emblem took about nine months actually to reach $14 RPI in Japan. However, looking at the same revenue development, Pokemon Masters has been like, dropping their revenue pretty quickly and their RPI has been flatlining uh, as a result. Uh, comparing that actually to Fire Emblem, only in Japan, that it actually continually grew to over $30 RPI. Um, so Fire Emblem definitely had a very, very continuous growth. This could mean that you know, maybe there's some retention issues or definitely some late game spend issues. In the US, Fire Emblem already has about a 1.7 RPI. About four, uh, Fire Emblem actually had a 1.7 RPI for about four days from launch. So comparable uh, to Pokemon Masters. Uh, this also then grew in line with Japan, actually, which actually points to Pokemon Masters actually likely only being a success in Japan and would still need to bridge a significant gap to reach Fire Emblem, Fire Emblem globally. Um, yeah, in terms of my read on this, spending now a full week with the game, not just the weekend, uh, you can actually see why in a lot of their systems design. Um, as mentioned last week with Kenny Liu, the, the game actually just didn't implement the full playbook for gacha-driven RPG games and just doesn't do enough to encourage a wide collection and clearly blew their production budget on their story component. Um, while this makes for an actually amazing first experience and really good feeling of like a true Pokemon game, it also makes for an incredibly costly pipeline to churn out new content. And unfortunately, since the story's stat requirements actually don't really scale that quickly, um, you don't really have a lot to pace players. They didn't use energy. They didn't use any other system. So it just means that players are going to be running out of content very soon. And that content is very costly. While I don't think they necessarily need an energy component, I believe they need to actually pace their story content better and push players into better design side modes, like a PvP mode. Unfortunately, it sounds like the team doesn't really want to implement any form of PvP, which kind of kneecaps their mode design for how to get players to engage in any sort of evergreen way. My read on this is that unless they can actually improve their side modes, events, training missions, and their evolved vertical actually pretty quickly, they probably will be losing pace with Pokemon Go and Fire Emblem pretty quickly. But ignoring the, say, per player metrics like RPI, they're actually getting like a ton of organic installs and will clearly keep getting them. That It's just Pokemon is such a massive brand. So this may not hit the same Fire Emblem numbers, but just the size of Pokemon, it could still be seen as a success. Just, I know, we'll all know that they had an opportunity for so much more. Eric? Yeah, um, you know, we've been talking about this offline a little bit, so I'm kind of uh, cribbing from you. Uh, definitely, this is the best Pokemon game the Pokemon company has made. Um, and it's actually maintaining revenue pretty well. But uh, kind of the way I always look at these things is that if revenue um, is... Uh, 
flatlining and and oh sorry if uh downloads are, are are pretty solid which i think they are like almost a million a day it seems uh and revenue is basically kind of fallen a little bit or, or flatlined a little bit that means that the original cohorts are likely not stacking so like so they're not the original cohorts are probably blown through this content and it sorry and this kind of lines up with what you've been saying is that they focus so much on the on the on the uh, story-based content that once these original cohorts blow through the story they have nothing else to spend money on right and so that's the way the chart is looking it's looking like that so they're bringing in new players and they're spending not as much as the original cohort but uh but the likely the original cohort's not not as active as they used to be so to your point they're like leaving money on the table by not having elder systems to engage them and and monetize is kind of what i'm thinking anyway so ultimately these type of games once the downloads kind of slow the revenue is going to drop and you're right it won't be as as sticky as fire emblem was and you know even though fire emblem is going to have a lot smaller audience you're just going to the players are just going to keep spending because they built systems that just as they introduced new characters they just kept spending and spending and spending so um yeah i mean but it's still a success to some degree for both pokemon company as well as dna um which have, have struggled i guess to monetize so you know, we'll we'll see how if if maybe they can include or add some of these you know elder game features to help uh, you know uh, keep keep people spending. So we'll see. Anything on from you, J.K.? Uh, you you muted. <laughs> well, I've been moving and trying to catch up on Rush War. So I actually haven't played Pokemon Masters yet, but I'll I'll try and hit that later. So. No comments from me except to say I'm glad to hear it's uh, doing fairly well, at least for now, and ho hopefully hopefully it uh, it holds up. But uh, yeah, I think that does it for us, unless there are any final comments. I think we are done. Well, I'm going to ask one more request. Anybody that knows anything about Garena, uh, please <laughs> reach out, because I need to understand this for uh, one of my clients, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I can't explain it. Sorry, just a random request. Uh, some of you Brazilians out there. All right. Cool. All right. Bye, everyone. See you.